Godzilla made a beat, so it's go time. What's up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Core 4 Podcast. We are a podcast under GBB's Podcast Network under SB Nation. You can find us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com and on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. The other podcasts on the network are The Starting Five, GBB Live, and I think there's one other, Bryce, that I'm forgetting right now off the top of my head. The, the long view, man, with your old co-host. The, the long view, that's what I'm forgetting. And, guys, I am joined by my co-host, Bryce Hayes, who's here to remind me of all the stupid things that I forget. Bryce is now the director of social media at Texas Lutheran University, and they are rising through the ranks and everything that he has been doing there. What is going on, my man? I am back from my – work bunker uh, you know i've been kind of mia here for the last month and a half but i'm glad to be back i miss back home but yeah i'm down here director of sports information and sports marketing at texas Lutheran university shout out to all the student athletes they've they've made my time here really fun it's the reason i get up in the morning give them a better experience but now let's, let's talk about back home my grizzlies still ride or die I still rub my grizzly stuff pretty much everywhere i go down here even amongst all these Spurs fans that try to give me a hard time. Yeah, man. It's been a little bit of a hiatus for us, Pope. We've all we've all kind of taken a little bit of a summer break over the last two months because, you know, there's just not a whole lot to talk about going on throughout the summer. Uh, we did get to talk a little bit about Summer League and how Desmond Bain developed as a playmaker, how like Xavier Tillman came along and how Zaire Williams had a few nice games in Summer League. But – at the end of the day, that stuff just don't really move me. It's just not real basketball to me. It's glorified pickup. It's hard for me to, like, maintain a long-term rooting interest. And then once preseason starts to uh, roll around, yeah, I start to get into it a little bit more. Right. I- I'm kind of liking what I'm seeing up to this point. And then finally, you get out on opening night. And that's when, like, the real anxiety, the real energy starts to fill the room for me once again when it comes to watching basketball. But the Grizzlies were able to knock off Cleveland last night. They won 131 to 120. Bryce, kind of, this was kind of your re-entrance back into Grizzlies basketball. You told me before we started recording that you've been kind of off the grid doing everything that you've been doing. I get that. So what stuck out to you the most just watching the game? Yeah, so I pretty much flew blind into the opener because between TLU football, soccer, volleyball and with our own basketball team starting up I haven't had time for preseason I mean I try to read the ESPN updates or whatever but I knew nothing about what was actually happening during the preseason outside of some clips here and there I would get get time to see on Twitter when I actually had time to check my own personal Twitter outside of TLU but I did like what I saw out of job obviously he had a big night I think he's now first and second on most points in the season opener in Grizzlies history Jaron Jackson Jr. is somebody that's kind of polarizing to you. He had, a, he had a good game. It obviously could have been a little more efficient shooting the ball, but a lot of those shots, I know it was like one at the end of the end of half and two others at like end of the shot clock. They could have made his shooting percentage a little bit better. But guess what? 
As I told people in my return article last week, guess who was second on the team in rebounds up until I think a late Kyle Anderson rebound late in the fourth quarter? Jaron Jackson Jr. Jaron Jackson Jr. had six rebounds, which granted shouldn't be celebrated for somebody that's seven feet tall, but as I've told people, the Jaron Jackson rebounding issue isn't as big as we try to make it out to be. Guess what? Steven Adams had, what, 13? It'll all work itself out. As long as he's healthy and productive, we'll be okay. I like what I saw out of Bain and Milton. They took a, another step in the right direction. I was shocked to see John Conchar be the first person off the bench. That, that someone that flew blind into the opener. I was like, why is Conchar out there so early? But, you know, he, he was John Conchar. He filled the stat sheet up in the time he got. And, you know, it, for somebody that didn't get to see the preseason, I liked what I saw last night. Yeah, I'll address John Conchar before I talk about anything else. It's like if a mad scientist got in the lab and put together all the ingredients of the perfect standard role player, and John Conchar is what would come out of that. I don't know if I have ever seen a player who can be so invisible at times throughout a game, just basically getting cardio out there, and yet he's helping you. He's very tangibly helping you, and you can see that. But he, you know, there are a lot of guys in the NBA who don't necessarily need the ball to be successful, an extreme example, but someone like Clay Thompson, who just relocates, moves it off the ball, and he forces the defense to adjust to him because of his shooting ability, whether he's got the ball or not. But... Um, someone like him, he always is making timely cuts. He's always where he needs to be on defense. And that'll keep you from ever being like an elite role player who can change the game on his own. But he's constantly helping the team just by his presence out of the court. There's never been a time where I've looked and said, John Conchar is hurting the Memphis Grizzlies. That's just not happening. Right. But I'll tell you what my first takeaway was from last night, not from the Grizzlies. It was just from purely watching the basketball game. Look, he seems like a great dude, high-character guy. Players seem to like him. I don't know how J.B. Bickerstaff is still head coach in the NBA. Man, rolls out Laurie Markkinen at the three last night. And I said so myself before the game even starts. You know, Desmond Bain's in line for a 25-piece tonight. And I think Bain had five points in the first 90 seconds of the game. It was a wide-open three that Markkinen didn't close out on. And then he just blew right past him for a reverse layup at the rim. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a guy – no, I'm not high on marketing in general. Um, people say he fell out of favor in Chicago. Typically, when a player falls out of favor, it's because they're not very good. <laughs> and it, that's the case for him. He's not an efficient low post scorer. His jump shot is very streaky, and he's certainly not a good enough of a shot creator or playmaker to be playing the three on anything resembling even a mediocre basketball team. So I, I don't know why Bickerstaff – I mean, I guess it sounds good in theory to roll out seven footers and have that type of length out there, but that was something for me. It was like I, I don't think I don't think it's something that'll last long. I just think it's something that it's opening night and maybe he felt that Okoro wasn't ready. Not even for not just for starting in the NBA, but starting in a place where bigger staff knows all too well that the grindhouse when it's when it's popping, it's a hard place to play, especially for somebody that's for their first NBA game. So I'll defend bigger staff on that, but I was the same way. When I saw when I got off from work and saw Markin was starting, I was like, okay, that's who Jaw's gonna put on a poster tonight. 
Sadly, we didn't get him on a poster, but marketing was somebody that the Grizzlies picked on throughout the night, and hopefully that's a sign of things to come as, as the Grizzlies get deeper into their schedule. They find these guys that are weaker defenders and just bully them. Because yeah. throughout the night, it didn't matter who it was. If they had marketing on them, the Grizzlies found them, hunted them, hunted them out, and yeah. did whatever they needed to do. And hunting mismatches is a sign of good coaching, and that reflects well on Jenkins. Cleveland is a – well, and I'll get more into Memphis here in a second because this is a Grizzlies show, but Cleveland is a weird team. They have a lot of nice young pieces that I like. I like Garland a lot. I think Garland's going to be one of the best young point guards in the league. If he's not already one of those here over the next year, he can do a little bit of everything. He struggles defensively because of his size, but he can pull up from anywhere, has unlimited range, had 13 assists last night, great playmaker. I like him a lot. And if you tell me in five, six years that Evan Mobley is the best big man in basketball, um, I won't really be surprised by that. I really won't. And so I like Jared Allen. Jared Allen went 11 for 11 from the field. I, I kind of was a little bit queasy by that $100 billion contract that they gave him, but he's a really good player. He does a lot of good things on both ends of the court. Um, the thing that fascinates about me about them is that all these good young pieces they have, the roster construction is so bad. Um, I like Colin Sexton. Um, I respect a guy who could average 24 points a game in the NBA. Um, They're not high on him, and I understand why. He cannot defend at his size, especially at the two. He'll do a lot of motion to try to show you that he's defending with the intensity, but he's not a very good defender. Um, He can fill it up, but he's not a point guard. He's not a true playmaker. He doesn't really make his teammates better. So I understand why he's an odd fit for them and why they're not very high on him going forward and why they didn't re-sign him before the deadline a couple of days ago. And it's just bizarre looking at their starting lineup from the other night when you got these two six-foot guys at the one and the two, and then you got this like immobile power forward in marketing starting at the three, and then you got Mobley at the four, who will probably be a five as he grows into his body, and then you got Jared Allen at the five. Lots of good pieces on that roster. By the way, kind of uh, like irrelevant to what I'm saying, but um, I totally forgot Ricky Rubio was on the Cavs until he came. I had forgotten. I had forgotten. Yeah, and I just so happened to hear Pete say Ricky Ruby. I was like, oh, he is with Cleveland. I, I totally yeah. forgotten about all that. Yeah, also, please liberate Kevin Love. That I think you made the point that he looked like a school teacher out there he, last night. He looked like he was playing in a student-teacher basketball game. I mean, it's nothing wrong with that. I've seen some teachers get buckets, but Kevin Love looked bad. I, think I don't know, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a situation where he just wants out of Cleveland or he's just washed up, but it, it didn't look good. You know how we talk about how there are really no such thing as immovable contracts in the NBA, that any contract can be moved, but there's enough sweetener for it. I, I think Kevin Love might be the exception. That dude has wanted out for three years now, and his contract is just so atrocious that there's absolutely nothing they can do with it. I'm kind of surprised they didn't give him some type of buyout before the season starts because he's going to be pouting before too long, and he'll they'll probably send him home is what I guess because I can tell from last night he's not into it very clearly i mean he said he loves cleveland but when you have three seven footers that are all around our age i mean there's really not much of a point in playing kevin love as many minutes as he probably wants for sure 
So Cleveland's interesting. Um, they're going to be a fun, bad team this year. They'll compete hard every night. Um, they're missing at least one or two wing scores. Um, Isaac Okoro, really strong defender, did a pretty decent job on Ja at different points throughout the night. Ja was just a little too much for him. Nobody was stopping Ja Morant last night. It, it was what it was. But um, his, I think, he could end up being a three and D guy. He'll never be a wing scorer for them. So they've got to be able to find someone, someone like Miles Bridges for the Hornets is somebody that I think they should throw a bag at this coming off season. So it'll be interesting to see how they progress, but glad the Grizzlies beat them because they should beat them because they're much better than that Cavs team. As far as the Grizzlies are concerned, um, I saw some people on Twitter saying, well, they should have beaten the Cavs a lot more easily. It shouldn't have come down to one point. It's opening. It doesn't night. matter. Yeah, it, it doesn't it's matter. Weird, it's weird. Not It's weird vibes on opening night. Anything can happen on opening night. Yeah, John Morant looked like a full-blown superstar. And if you want to nitpick, you can look at Jaron and be like, he didn't make a single shot inside the paint, which is kind of bizarre for a seven-footer. But he missed a few chippies. Uh, Jared Allen and Mobley are going to be a very tough defensive front court for even the best bigs in the league. He had four blocks. He made three threes. Get over it. He was fine. <laughs> he, he's good. I'm not worried about hey, him. Hey, I mean, if Nathan, if Nathan Chester has a positive take on Jaron Jackson Jr., he must have done something right. But well, I just, I just I'm watched just, him I'm just saying. I just watched him average 20 per game in preseason, pretty much having his way against anybody. And, yeah, it was preseason, but I'm not going to jump ship because he struggled from the field and only scored 13 against Cleveland. Was I kind of rolling my eyes a little bit at, like, the volume of threes compared to his overall shot selection? A little bit. Like, man, it, those threes look good at your size when they're going in, but it would – you should take a few more shots at the basket, but um, he was out of rhythm in the game early. Uh, Bain was being guarded by Markkinen, so he found a rhythm early. Melton was lighting it up in the second quarter, so he was like the fourth or fifth option. It, right. It's like the flow of the game goes at some points. Uh, Desmond Bain is a starter in the NBA. Um, I think he will be the starter once Dylan Brooks comes back, and I think Melton will move to the bench. Um, I tweeted this last night, and it just makes me shake my head at what teams like the Boston Celtics and Dallas Mavericks were thinking. But the Mavericks will spend the rest of Luka Doncic's career looking for someone like Desmond Bain to put next to him. Just a pure, bona fide sniper who can create off the bounce, get to the basket, hit shots off the dribble in rhythm. And considering how much of a premium they have put on finding guys, like they went and signed uh, Sterling Brown this past offseason, who shot 40% from three from Milwaukee last year. They put such a premium on surrounding guys, on surrounding Luka with guys who are elite shooters. And then you have this guy who was a 44% three-point shooter over three seasons in college, and they pass him up. I just don't get that. Everybody can't be king climbing, man. I know climbing caused some criticism for the draft pick this year, which, I mean, with yesterday being the first time seeing Zaire Williams play, he didn't look too bad for a rookie that's pretty much playing his first real basketball since he was in high school. He didn't look too bad to me. But like I was, like I was about to say, other people's losses the Grizzlies gained, and that's kind of been the story of the last three offseasons as the Grizzlies kind of find the guys that were – lost in the shuffle and they find ways to maximize their best value 
within different lineups and stuff here in Memphis. I will say I didn't even realize it last night. Xavier Tillman did play, which mm-hmm. is an interesting decision to me. But Brandon Clark looked a lot more comfortable. I didn't. I don't really remember much of seeing a jump shot. I remember the alley oop or something from from Mel, but I don't remember seeing if his jump shots improved. And maybe that's something we saw there in preseason that I didn't get to watch. But I don't. I don't know if they're going to go back to doing what they were doing last year with playing Clark one night, Tillman the other, but. I'm curious to see how all that plays out this season. Yeah, it, it was – I think it's going to be matchup dependent, depending on who's coming off in the second unit against other teams. But something th- – this is going to be tough to figure out over the next few games, whether this was just a Cleveland team and Cleveland's second unit was really bad and that was on display. But that second unit played with Jaron at the center and Brandon Clark at the four, and they just demolished Cleveland. I think they went on a 15-0 run at one point in the second quarter. And if you go back to two years ago when Jaron was finishing games at center, um, for all intents and purposes, the Grizzlies' so-called death lineup had Brandon Clark at the four, Jaron Jackson at the five to close out games. And it really was their best lineup by plus minus. And that really didn't show last year because Clark was not himself. I think he was playing hurt. And then Jaron was a shell of himself after coming back. So neither one of them was playing at their max level. And then, so it's encouraging to see them playing together and looking as good on both ends as they did. Brandon Clark was very good defensively last night. And, you know, coming off that second unit, there's not a lot of interior scoring or perimeter scoring for Cleveland for that matter. But they look good. And Xavier Tillman's not out of the rotation. I think we'll see him out of the rotation playing in certain matchups. I'm not worried about that. Uh, Since you mentioned Kleiman's draft pick, I'm going to blow your mind with this take. I was very pleased by Zaire Williams last night, very pleased by what I saw. Um, He played 17 minutes. I went one for two from the field, hit his only three-point shot, and had a steal. Just watching him on TV, like, bro, there are a lot of skinny young guys in the NBA. (laughs) That undershirt I think he wears kind of hides how skinny he actually is. He's he's really small. He is a boy among men out there right now. And he's just 19, so that's to be expected in some ways. But um, the fact that he did not hurt them by being on the court and even helped them, um, I was kind of disappointed when he came out in the fourth quarter when he did because he was being helpful on the court. He's going to use his length to cause some trouble on defense, and his shot is beautiful. It didn't go in a lot at Stanford, but if he can knock down open threes with some consistency, he can provide value as a rookie, and really that's all you can ask for at this stage where he's at physically because uh, they, they're going to have some type of nutrition plan for him. <laughs> over the next and, that, and that's the thing, like, I, I think we talked about this the last before I moved down here to Texas. When you really think about it, Zaire Williams didn't get the, the diet plans you get in college. He, he didn't get the weight programs you get in college because of COVID. So he's, in, in all reality, two years behind where most kids would be at this stage. So just for him to go out and spot minutes and be productive, that's a positive, not only for the Grizzlies, but for Zach Kleinman when he looks back at the draft process. Granted, there were some guys – that went ahead of him, I mean, went behind him in the draft that were productive. But, I mean, given the Grizzly situation, they don't really need just these impact players. All you need is a guy right now that could come in, 
do a job and go back to the bench and get better taking mental reps night in, night out. Yeah, and I was beating the Moses Moody drum both before the draft and after the draft. And it's probably more of a Steve Kerr thing than anything, but he's not in the rotation for Golden State right now in their first two games this year. Damian Lee is playing ahead of him in Golden State's rotation. So it's not like these guys that I preferred are at least yet lighting it up when he is not. So you got to take the patient approach and we'll see where it goes. Um, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you the Damian Lee thing is nepotism because you got to remember that Damian Lee is Steph's brother, brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. That's nepotism. That's nepotism. Yep. Big time for sure. Steph has 24 points on nine of nine shooting in the first quarter of the Warriors game against the Clippers right now. So his MVP campaign is starting early. Um, speaking of MVP campaigns, we'll kind of finish off here with Ja Morant. Um, I think Ja, this isn't going to be like a one-hit wonder like it was against San Antonio when he went off for 44 the season opener. And then he kind of got hurt and his play kind of trailed off. Um, I think what we saw last night is going to be pretty close to what we see for the rest of the season. And it doesn't mean he's going to score 37 on 29 shots every night. But um, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well outside the paint. He made one long two. But the three he made in the situation in which he made it, like a 25-foot leaner out of a screen and roll in like a one-possession game with under two minutes to go, um, the fact that he would even take that shot tells me a lot about where his mindset and confidence is at with his offensive game. Um, I'm going to be pretty surprised if he doesn't average somewhere between 25 and 28 points a game this year. I really think he's at that level. Um, maybe he wants to focus more on setting his teammates up, and maybe that'll end up restricting his stats a little bit. But um, if you want to be an all-star of the West, you need to at least be putting up 23, 24 points a game. And I think he realizes and acknowledges that for himself. So I think you're going to see he's not going to put up 29 shots every night, but you're going to see a high level of aggression from him every night out there in a way that we have not seen throughout his first two years. So I think something comparable the level of play, the superstar level of play. Um, when a game turns to one possession, superstars have their way. They say the game is over. That's what Ja Barant did. I think you're going to see that type of player night in and night out. Yeah, he doesn't take that shot the last two years. Mm-hmm. But just seeing what I have seen from, from the preseason and last night, he seems to be more confident not only in his jump shot, but in himself. He seems to be in a different mindset than he has been the past two years, which is saying something for somebody that's as driven as he is. So for him to be making a leap mentally and physically, because he is a little bit bigger than he was when the season ended last year, that's something that should scare everybody else. Because not only is he better, the Grizzlies are better, and he's got his role, he's got his road dog back in Jaron Jackson Jr. So that takes even more pressure off of him, because guess what? When you send, when you attack him defensively, now you can either dish it out to Jaron or dish it out to Bain. Brooks, when he comes back, like he has options now, whereas last year people could just kind of sit on his drive and take away the drive, force him to take a shot. Now there's so many other alternatives for the Grizzlies and John Morant that as many people have said, including Kendrick Perkins on ESPN, I think yesterday, the day before yesterday, the Grizzlies can be scary the whole thing is going to be if they can stay healthy or not. Yeah. Last thing, um, 
a lot has been talked about when it comes to Steven Adams and Jonas Valanciunas. Um, Steven Adams had eight points, 15 rebounds, and three assists, and Jonas Valanciunas went three of 19 on the opening night for the Pelicans. Is I, I did see that. Yeah, Steven Adams is not a better player than Jonas Valanciunas in a vacuum, but I think, you know, we knew he was going to be better defensively and even throughout preseason that has been demonstrated about how much more helpful he is on that end. But um, while he may not be a better offensive player than Jonas Valanciunas, I do think he helps bring a dimension offensively that Valanciunas did not bring because without Valanciunas, not only are more shots going to John Moran, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, and DeAnthony Melton, but he is helping them create that shots with his screening from his elbow passing. And I'll be lying if I remember him being this good of a passer in all the years that I've been watching him. So that's really been an encouragement to see. Um, his skill in that way kind of like helps reveal parts of Ja Morant's skill set that many other star guards in the league don't have. Ja is a great cutter. He uses his athletic right. well in that way. John Wall does not cut. Russell Westbrook does not cut. Kyrie Irving does not cut often. James Harden does not cut. There are many star caliber primary creators in the league who do not move without the basketball. John Morant does. And Steven Adams is a great big man for him to play with in that way. I'm going to push back on one of those names you said, though. Russell Westbrook does, but it just has to be in the right situation. In Houston, he didn't really do it much because of the way they had that whole offense set up down there. And even with Steven Adams, with the passing ability thing, like he'd show flashes of it, but even in Oklahoma City with Scott Brooks, that offense, the way it was ran in pretty much all three eras, whether it was with Harden and Durant or just Durant and Westbrook and Adams, it wasn't really made for him to be the facilitator. He was more of get the rebound and put it back more than, whereas where Taylor Jenkins is using him in a role where he could facilitate as well. So I, I believe Russ cuts a little bit more than you give him credit for. And I think Adams is just finally in a position where he can kind of use that tool in his toolbox that he really didn't need to use. I wouldn't say need to use, but didn't really have to utilize as much as far as in Oklahoma City and, in, and his other stops before Memphis. Yeah. All right, Bryce, I think that's all we got time here for tonight. Why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff, my man? I mean, I don't really have much stuff anymore, man, because, you know, I'm so busy down here. But shout out to Texas Lutheran. I appreciate everybody down here. It's again, New Braunfels, the San Antonio area for embracing everything I'm trying to do down here. Shout out to the kids. Been supportive of everything I'm doing. All the reason I get up in the morning. Um, shout out to Elite, too. I'm still helping out with them when I can. You know, I'm not as active with them either because, obviously, I'm busy and Shout out to everybody that's asked where I've been at because a lot of people are asking why I haven't been tweeting and why I haven't been writing for GBB as much. I'm still here, busy, but once it's just basketball, college basketball season, I'll be back. For sure. Shout out to Memphis too, man. I miss, I miss back home. I miss back home. So <laughs> shout, shout out to the city. Keep shining. I'm still repping the M down here in Texas. We appreciate it, man. We do appreciate it. And you can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. And you can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. And remember, whether you're a Lakers fan, a Sixers fan, or any other fan base I might incite, 
you can't cancel me, so don't even try. You can't <laughs> cancel. Many have tried, and many have failed, and many will continue to fail. So just continue being triggered, and I will continue to laugh all the way to the bank. Bryce, I will let you have the honors for this episode. Hey, man, that's all, folks. Y'all, y'all leave my boy Nate alone. He has to be trying to tweet in peace. Leave my boy Nate alone. I'm not really trying to tweet in peace. I'm, I, I want war and strife. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>